So Lord, we do pray that you would cause your word to come alive in us. We do pray that you would breathe new life into us and that, Lord, as we um, grow more and more into your likeness, that through us your face would be seen by the world. So, Lord, as we approach your word, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would anoint the preaching of this word. And, Lord, we pray that you would anoint each one of us to hear it, to receive it, and to be transformed by it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, Gold Avenue Church friends and family. Um, it's so good to be with you, even digitally. Um, we're continuing on for this at-home liturgy in our short series on the Psalms. And you may recall that we began this series by exploring the theme of lament and David's cry of how long, O Lord. We talked about how our honesty with the Lord about the hard things in life makes a way for him to work with them. And we've journeyed along exploring emotional honesty with the Lord as an expression of faith. We've been encouraged to press into intimacy with the Lord and to trust in his truth in the midst of difficulty. And last week, Pastor Dave shared with us from Psalm 86 about being transformed in our prayer life as we focus on God's character and his goodness. And this week, we'll be concluding our series on the Psalms with Psalm 27. So hear then the word of the Lord from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and they will fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. And at his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this, 
I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, this whole coronavirus shelter-in-place season has left me in a little bit of an emotional hurricane. I realized this the other day when a friend asked me a very simple question. How are you? Now, this is one of those friends that I'm close with. Um, it's one of those friends that expects the real and vulnerable answer. I couldn't get by with just saying, oh, I'm good or things are fine. How are you? And so before answering her, I gave my response some thought. I slowed down and I processed the question and I realized that I wasn't actually sure how to answer because I wasn't actually sure how I was. As I reflected on the hours and the days and the weeks before, I realized that within them, I'd had moments of profound goodness and beauty. Moments when I'd have to say, man, I'm doing so well. I've had sweet, quiet time with the Lord. I've enjoyed a slower pace of life that's included being outside and cooking good meals. I've sat and read in the sunshine and I've caught up with old friends via Zoom and Skype. The season has been sweet on so many fronts. But then I realized that I've also had moments within it of crushing discouragement and even anxiety. I've had moments of deep loneliness and grief, feelings of insecurity and fears of uncertainty. And I've had moments when nothing in my world seems quite right. Throughout this season, I've felt the Lord's presence in astonishing clarity. And at times my faith has felt stronger and more secure than ever before. But I've also had moments where I found myself wondering what God is up to in the world around me and in my own life. I found myself wondering how it's all going to turn out. My thoughts and my emotions have been up and down and everywhere in between. And it seems that that's how David feels in our psalm for this message. When I began to research this psalm, I found that a number of commentators had wondered if this psalm was actually originally one piece written at the same time by one person. Scholars have wondered if this psalm may actually be different verses of different songs that have somehow been cobbled together at some point in history. And the reason for this wondering is simple. How can the psalmist go from feeling so completely and utterly confident in the Lord's goodness and faithfulness and the security of his presence in verses 1 through 6 and then suddenly express anxiety and fear of being rejected and forsaken in verses 7 through 12? And then, seemingly out of the blue, the writer is back to rock-solid confidence in waiting on the Lord's goodness to conclude the psalm in verses 13 to 14. It doesn't feel logical. It doesn't feel connected or organized or even healthy to jump so quickly from one extreme emotion to the next. And yet somehow, the jumbled, juxtaposed nature of David's thoughts in this psalm find resonance in my own spirit 
during this season. And maybe they do for you too. As one scholar put it, this idea of the psalm being several put together has much in its favor, but it neglects how the experience of the man or woman of God can change so much even within a day or a song. What the scholar is saying is that jumbled and juxtaposed thoughts and emotions are part of the normal human experience in any given season, day, hour, or even just a song. And they were clearly part of David's experience. And so let's walk through David's jumbled and juxtaposed journey through this psalm and see where we may find ourselves and our own thoughts and emotions alongside David's. David opens up on a high note. He's in that place that I often find myself on good days. Days like today when the sun is shining and days when God's goodness has been tangible to me. The Lord is my light and my salvation, David says. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is a man who has known darkness and need for light. He's a man who's run from enemies He's a man who sat in the darkness of his own fears and his own sins. David is a mighty man of war with armies waiting at his command. A man who has fought in raging battles day and night. And also a man who has spent many nights safe behind strong guarded castle walls. And yet David has learned that no amount of armies or earthly strength or power, no castle wall, none of it compares to God. He calls God his light, God his stronghold, and God his deliverer. When wicked men come against me, David goes on, when they come to devour me, when my enemies rise up and wage war against me, even then, says David, even then I'm confident, even then I am trusting David is remembering how God has time and time again been faithful, how the giant Goliath had promised to feed David's bones to the birds moments before God delivered Goliath into David's hands with a stone and a sling. David is choosing to reflect on and stand on God's character and his promises, even when they aren't yet or aren't fully yet his experience. This is the posture many of us landed on following last week's sermon. We were remembering God's covenant faithfulness, his chesed, and surrounding and surrendering our fears and our worries, all of it to God, trusting in his character and his promises, that he is good in all things. It's from this position with his feet firmly planted in the soil of God's promises and his character, that David turns the camera from God to himself and begins to express his deepest desire. I want to be with you in your presence, says David. Of all the things and all the places in this world, all I really want is to spend all the days of my life in the safety of your covering. I want to spend every minute of every day close to you, gazing upon your glorious beauty. For in the day of trouble, David says, God will keep me safe and he will hide me. 
He will set me high upon a rock. The original language here means to be inaccessible. Imagine a high, rocky mountain cleft that even a skilled climber cannot reach. David is saying that in God's presence, he is literally not accessible to his enemies. They cannot touch him. He cannot see them or hear them, and he has no fear of them in God's presence. In God's presence, fears and worries and the dust of this earth wash away. In God's presence, there's fullness of joy and peace beyond understanding. In God's presence, there is love indescribable, beauty unfathomable, and glory beyond comprehension. Then, David goes on, Then, when I'm in your presence, my head is exalted over my enemies. When I'm with you, says David, I'm victorious. When I'm with you, I'm full of joy, and all I can do is praise you because you are so, so good. David's heart is bursting with desire for God's presence, and he's so full of confidence in God's protection and goodness. He knows what it is to be safe in God's presence. And he longs to be there all the time. As one theologian put it, he could think of no greater occupation than to fill his mind and heart with the goodness and greatness of God. And then, we hit what feels like a pothole in the road as David suddenly cries out from the depth of his being. Do you hear me, God? He asks. Do you hear me? I long to see your face. Please don't hide it from me. Don't turn me away or reject me because of your anger. Do you hear the shame and the fear in David's words? Maybe you recognize their sentiment in your own heart. These are the words of a man who has no, who knows that he deserves God's anger. A man who fears God's rejection. A man who has sinned and a man who has known rejection from those who should have loved him the most. Though my father and mother forsake me, says David. David has heard the voice of other people and the voice of the accuser that whispers, you're too bad, too far gone, too broken. You failed too many times. You're not lovable, not worthy, not valued, not good enough. How many of us have felt the sting of rejection, have heard the voice of the accuser, have feared that God's grace for us and his favor over us has run out? And yet, David doesn't stay stuck in this place. Somehow he's exposing the darkest places within himself, but he has not let go of his faith. Even though I've been rejected, David says, the, the Lord will receive me. And so, teach me your ways. David responds in humility. Teach me how to walk in righteousness so that I will be blameless. Teach me how to walk in your ways so that no one will have anything to accuse me of. 
Teach me your ways, God, so that when my enemies come with their attacks and their accusations, they won't matter and they won't succeed. Teach me your ways, God, so that I can never again be led or torn away from your presence. Though David is acutely aware of his own weakness and failures, though his enemies surround him and assault him, David concludes his psalm with complete confidence. I remain confident, he says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in this land of the living. Wait. Take courage. Wait. For God's goodness has always and will always prevail. We've been on quite a journey within 14 short verses. And though you and I may have never experienced physical warfare like David has, I do believe that his experience still connects deeply with ours. Though our our enemies may not be armies, they may be fear, loneliness, insecurity, depression, doubt, pride, shame, rejection, We've wrestled with these and more. We believed in God's goodness and yet feared that he'd turned us away because of our failures. We've had faith in his promises and yet found ourselves wondering how long. How much longer will I have to wait to be delivered, to know the truth in the deepest places, and to be set high on that rock that you promise? Along with David, in our lives we've sat on this pendulum that seems to swing back and forth from confidence to doubt. But it seems that David has found a way to steady the swing. He's found the solution, discovered the very fount of faith and confidence, and it's found in God's presence. I want to be there all the time, David says, because when I'm here, my enemies can't touch me. When I'm here... I get to gaze upon your face, God. Psychology teaches us that children watch the faces of trusted adults in order to understand the world around them. They learn at a young age that if their mother or father's face appears calm, then they have nothing to fear. But if their mother or father's face appears agitated or afraid, they too become agitated and afraid themselves. A child inherently knows that though they don't understand their surroundings, their parents do. The child inherently trusts their parents' observations and reacts to things the way that their parents do. Children look into their parents' faces in order to understand and in order to perceive the truth. Children also learn at a young age that love and affirmation can be communicated through facial expression. When they take their first steps or draw their first pictures, they immediately look at their parents' eyes to see if what they've done is good. When children fall down and hurt themselves, they search for their parents' eyes in order to be reassured that all will be okay. And when children make mistakes, or when they lie, they avoid eye contact because of shame because they're afraid of seeing rejection in their parents' eyes. 
David longs to gaze into the face of the Lord so that no matter what his circumstances, he can see and know the truth that refutes the lies of the accuser. He longs to gaze into the eyes of the Lord so that he can be assured of God's love for him despite his shortcomings. David longs to gaze because he's learned that God's eyes never, ever display rejection. David longs to be in God's presence and to gaze upon his beauty and majesty in his very face because he's learned that within God's presence comes the gift of confidence. God's presence washes away fears. It silences the voice of the accuser. It puts shame to death and it hides us from our enemies. It's interesting to hear all this from an Old Testament writer, a writer who was under the Old Covenant in which God's presence was housed within a grand tent called the tabernacle. I think if David had had his druthers, he would have just stayed in that tent basking in God's glory day and night. But you and I don't have to go to a specific tent or physical building to bask in the glory of God, to gaze upon the beauty of his majesty and to swim in the love pouring forth from his eyes. You and I are children under the new covenant purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. As Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know that you are God's holy temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? The Spirit of God himself, the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, he lives in each one of us. And together as his body, we are God's temple, God's dwelling place on this earth. This reality is what produced Paul's rock-solid confidence in Romans 8 when he writes, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through God's Holy Spirit living within him, Paul knew the safety and security of God's holy presence. And we can too. Friends, through this message, I believe that the Lord is reminding us that his presence and all its benefits are always available to us. He's inviting us in. And that like David, we can wait in confidence for all things. Because we can do it within the glory and the protection of God's presence living within us. God is inviting us to be those who press into his presence. And he's extending to us the gift of confidence. Confidence that's found in him alone. And so as we close, I'm going to pray for us. And then the next song in this at-home liturgy may be a new one for you, but I want to invite you to listen to it, to play it, to soak in it, or to sing along as you feel led and as you press into God's presence and as you turn your eyes toward his. And so will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you put your spirit in us that we can be in your presence. 
God, that we can be in your presence even now, Lord. And we thank you that in your presence there is peace and there is joy. God, that in your eyes there is truth and that there is confidence that nothing on this earth, not even coronavirus and all its effects, can separate us from your love. And so, Lord, as we conclude this message, I pray that you would draw each one of us deeper into your presence. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to be honest with you about the darkest places in us, just as David was. And God, I pray that where there is fear, where there is anxiety, God, where there is anger and confusion, that you would replace it with unshakable confidence in your goodness, in your justice, and in your kindness. Draw near to us, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.